Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin. I'm your host. Thanks for listening. It's another week, so as usual, it's another episode And this episode is great, not because I'm on it, but because of the guest. And that guest is Roisin Murphy. I was absolutely thrilled to get the opportunity to sit down with Roisin and and talk about her life and talk about the music that soundtracked it. And and it was a a real joy. And just quickly, a few thank yous. Thank you to Chris from the PR company for helping facilitate this thanks to the queen of hoxton for letting us record there thanks to everybody at the distraction pieces network thanks to mr 76 for producing this thanks to my name is ad for doing the artwork and and just you know i should throw in there that if this is your first time listening to uh off the beaten track and you enjoy it and you want to hear some more then have a little look in the back catalogue because i've spoke to God, where do we begin? Uh, Julian Marley, Danny Wallace, DJ Yoda, Eddie Temple Morris, Rob DeBank, John Kennedy, Jesus Jones, Dan P. Carter, Colin Murray, Preston. Oh, God, let's keep rattling them off. Scroobius Pip, um, Block Party, Dan Lassac, Rich Wilson, Mark Moore from S Express, Eddie Pillar, Dom Jolly, Ian Lee, Gal Porter, Jade Adams. The list goes on. So go and have a look in the back catalogue and see if there's any other episodes that might tickle your fancy. Anyway, I've been speaking for way too long, so let's get on with this podcast. Please enjoy Off the Beaten Track with Roisin Murphy. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk Do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. (laughs) 
this Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whiffin. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. We are at the Queen of Hoxton, so thank you very much to those guys for letting us have a bit of space here. And joining me today is Rashi Murphy. Hello. You all right? Yeah. Thank you ever so much for doing this. And you've sent me over your tracks in advance, and I'm really looking forward to chatting about them because there's some decent songs in there. Yeah. Right, well, let's get straight on with it, which is track one, which mm-hmm. is the song with the greatest intro. Yes. Can you remember what you put? Yeah, I do, yeah. The, 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 but old surfers. Mommy, what does regret mean? I'll tell you what, of all the songs that you sent over, I didn't <laughs> expect that one. Uh, why? Why? I don't know. I just presumed. But then when I've done a bit more research and... I see you as talking about Sonic Youth and Pixies and things like that. Then it all made sense. But I wasn't sure. I didn't expect you to have that kind of passage of music. Yeah, I suppose I've been into every kind of music. And I was a young teenager in Manchester in the 80s, in the late 80s. And um, kind of every band came through there. And every kind of club that you would want was there. So somebody who was into music would kind of discover all kinds of music, really, in a city like Manchester. Yeah. That's like, I mean, we'll get on to that when we talk about clubbing, but that's a good time to be in Manchester, right? Oh, my God, yeah. Amazing, yeah. I was so lucky to kind of move to Manchester from Ireland when I was 12. And then, yeah, so I got in with this crowd of, like, kind of weirdo boys uh, when I was about 13, 14. And this is the kind of music we were into, um, stuff that made us kind of snigger and uh, <laughs> annoy our parents and you know I just remember the sniggering with this with this track you know so well son <laughs> better to Satan <laughs> <laughs> and the build of the kind of sniggering you yeah. know and the sort of like you know we used to use that phrase it's ace and this is very much that it's very much ace this track so you mentioned that you hung out with, uh, you found yourself surrounded by like a, a gang of kind of weird lads and that. Did you always kind of gravitate to the slightly more interesting looking people? And As a kid, as a very young kid, I mean, I was surrounded by music from the very beginning um, because I'm Irish and everybody sings songs and uh, my uncle was a musician and he played every kind of instrument he sang and he had all these different bands his son was obsessed with music I used to come home from school, go straight to their house we used to listen to records or he'd play the piano or I'd sing songs with him and his guitar and so I was always around people who were into music yeah, from as far back as I can remember and then when I went to Manchester yeah, I just, I guess I fell in with the misfits I was already a misfit being Irish and everything, so I didn't really fit into the sort of uh, run-of-the-mill kind of school thing. Um, I tried, don't get me wrong, but um, it didn't work out for me. I'd often run into trouble in school with, with girls, really, um, and I got a fright, really, from that, and then I just sort of hung around with boys for a few years of my teenage years, really. It took me a while to kind of come back around to hanging around with girls. And lads are more obsessive, you know. So I have spent a kind of lifetime, really, and it's still happening to me, where I know lads who are constantly searching for music, obsessed with music, and they often bring it to me to kind of, you know, I'm very lucky that way. You know, I've got lots of lads who kind of like are like cats with a dead mouse in their mouth, you yeah. know. And they kind of come up to me, they drop it in front of me and yeah. go, do you like that? <laughs> and the misfits were always a bit more interesting as well, right? Well, I think once you decide not to fit in, it's very uh, liberating. Completely. Obviously. And uh, the younger that can happen to you, I think perhaps the better. So just touching on, on intros, Oshini, it's like, how, seeing that, the way that music's evolved and, and, and living in a mainstream culture of everything's instant, mm. everything's shazammed and, and everything's got to be that quick. And how do you approach intros in your music? Ooh. It, it, you know, you, you, 
I guess I haven't really thought about that. That's an interesting question, you know. Because it depends on the track. A, lo- a lot of your music almost feels like it's it's ready to be DJ'd, and so with DJ culture, obviously, there's lots of intros and outros that yep. are tailor made for yeah. that. Is that a consideration? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think with a club record, there's a sort of landscape element to it. There's a sense of you need space between the parts, between the hooks, so that it can build. Build is a big thing, sure. isn't it, in dance music? Um, but, you know, sometimes people complain that tracks are too long, cause, and I often think that's because of lack of attention span, you know, um, and I sort of scratch my head about that because I think, well, it's a club record, so, you know, that's club records are yeah. long and they have a sort of landscape to them and a build. Yeah. But um, intro just depends. Sometimes you, you bang straight in and sometimes you build up and sometimes you have a completely different thing going on yeah, in the yeah. intro that happens on the rest of the track. It depends. Okay. For track two, the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah. Well, anything my dad sang to me really was... He was good at making me cry with songs, you know. He used to sing um, Scarlet Ribbons to me as well, which is another one I thought of that would be uh, very emotional uh, about a father singing to his daughter, you know, getting what she was praying for at night and so on. It's terribly sentimental. And then this one, though, right? And this one is the, you know, this, this one about the poor little orphan. Uh, nobody wanted <laughs> it used to make me absolutely sob and so that would have been would that have been what would that emotion have been sort of sadness longing or um yeah just empathy i think it's uh it's a it's a because i i've been i my father was singing it to me, and I wasn't an unloved child, but I think it sort of taught me a bit of empathy for children and sort of recognising that I was lucky and yeah. that there were children who weren't as lucky and so on and so on. And this was in Ireland, yeah? Yes, yeah. This was very young. And so how old would you have been then? I can't remember not hearing this type of thing, honestly. Yeah. Okay, so talking about music and, and, and growing up at home, aside from um, a family of people that would sing and things like yeah. that, was there always records on at home? Yeah, always. My mother was the record collector. But she was a terrible woman. She had a few drinks. She always scratched them all up. They were always thrown all over the place. That's what they're for, right? The horror. The horror of it. <laughs> um, yeah, she collected records. The first record that I ever got obsessed with, i.e. played over and over again, was one of hers. And it was uh, Ticket to Ride. It was a 45. Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. Well, so that's not, good. That's, that that's not a bad starting point, is it? Over and over again. And, yeah. Are you obsessive with music then? I think I always was, yeah. yeah. Are you... Because I know if I find a record that I like, I will just focus on that and yeah. I will rinse it a hundred times. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I drive yeah. my family up the wall, just playing it constantly repeat, which you kind of like. Are you like that? I'm like that, yeah. I mean, the last one I did feel like that about was just a couple of weeks ago and uh, I heard this new version or this new mix, a Louis Vega mix of uh, a Van Dross track what track it's called my body right yeah and um it's a new a new version of so he must have got hold of some old tapes or there have been some some old ste- vocal stems that have been given out to different yeah. producers lately and this thing is just it's like 10 minutes long and it's it's just it's just world-class production yeah. from louis vega and of course I think maybe one of my favourite voices of all time. Do you know what? There's a there's a track by Luther Vandross called "House Is Not a Home." Do you, do you know that yes, track? Yes, yeah. And that's a good ten minutes. And it's have you seen him performing that live for uh, Dale Morick? Yes. Oh my God! It's one of the best things on the internet. <laughs> and all the people crying, Diana Ross, Dale Morick. It's beautiful, it, isn't it's it? It's beautiful. Oh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing oh, ever. brilliant. And it does it. That song, for me, that's where you get the full range of, yeah. of what he can do with his voice, which is... Yeah. 
he's really showing off there. It's, it's beyond. It's <laughs> so sweet, his voice, isn't it? I it's know. it's, it's a, a, a beautiful thing. And even hearing like uh, some of the earlier stuff with Change, and, and even with like, um, obviously, he's on the, um, doing harmonies on Young Americans, isn't yes, he? That's by right, by yeah. Bowen. He's he, a great vocal arranger. And, and it well. still cuts through his voice. It even like, doesn't overshadow Bowie, but. You're listening to it and you're just thinking, hey, it's Luther Vendros. You ever seen him on um, Sesame Street? No. Yeah. <laughs> Before he was famous, he was on Sesame Street singing. Really? Singing what? I don't know, some old gospel thing, I think it was. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Track three. The song that reminds you of your time at school. What did I say? Old yeah. Bros? Yes. Yeah. School in Manchester, yeah. When I when I got to Manchester, the first year I was there, I think I was either twelve or thirteen. We went to like some uh, kids' disco at the Ritz in Manchester that was on at about six o'clock in the evening, and they were performing and they weren't famous yet or anything. They weren't. They would just come out. Yeah. Um, but everybody went mad for it, and everybody started dressing like them. It was one of them that just swept through the school, like you know. It, do you know what? It's, it's weird, but at, at the time, like I'm 46, so I kind of caught it as well. And, and obviously, as a boy, you weren't allowed to like Bros. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Uh, but I couldn't help but like Bros because it was really solid, infectious pop. Yeah, it was, yeah. And, uh, and I, then, did, I didn't want to pick anything too cool for that question either. I, I mean, I could have gone, oh, Sonic Youth, you know, or whatever, because I did get into Gosh, all that. Gosh, you're in great school. company, because every single person I've had on here has said exactly what you've just said. I was going to try and be cool, but I thought, no, I'm not. I'm going to be honest. And, and everybody has come up with something that, uh, yeah. that has been really honest and, and, and oh, great. that's good. That's good. And, and I'll tell you, there's a little bit in... Uh, the, the track's when will I be famous, right? And and it's that little mid-lay where it goes half-time. Yes, yeah. And uh, I love it. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was in... I, was, I went on uh, for my wife's fault if we went to Vegas, uh, like for a holiday. And, uh, and Matt Goss was the resident uh, uh-huh. in Caesar's Palace where we were staying. And, uh, and we'd, we, we didn't sort of go to see him or anything. He was doing like kind of swing version of, of broth stuff and that. And it uh-huh. wasn't really my bag. But, um, but we, we'd been out in the day and I'd gone into like this big mall and there was um, like a sports shop and it had a really famous boxer in there. I like, I like my boxing. So I went in there and I was completely beside myself that I'd met this, this incredible boxer that I grew up watching. And I sort of come out my wife just literally doing cartwheels out of the shotgun. Oh my God, I can't believe I've just shook that hand that, that knocked out Muhammad Ali. It's like, oh, mate. And literally as I've walked out, I've bumped into Matt Goss. <laughs> And to overshadow my moment, like I saw, it was my wife's fault if I saw my 40-year-old wife retract to a 13-year-old brosette oh, gosh, like that. Yeah. And she was like, oh, my God. And he was like, are you guys from Essex? And he was like, yeah. And <laughs> Roisin, I mean, documentary aside, I mean, that's a whole other that podcast. That was brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> oh my my God. God, that was just gob open good. <laughs> it was I just did not know what to make of it. Part of me, it's that kind of thing where there's something a bit tragic about it and you can't, you can't help but kind of... Sort of like all the best uh, sort of documentaries about sort of yeah. music people, they're always a bit tragic, aren't they? I mean, they're all hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. The whole... Th- even this is hilarious in a way, you know, the whole sort of idea that just because you sing a song, you should be interesting to sit down and talk to, yeah. you know, it's kind of a silly idea. But <laughs> Have you seen the recent James Lavelle documentary? No. That's quite an interesting documentary, which is brutally honest. Right, and, right. And he doesn't portray himself as a particularly nice person in a lot of it, and it's, it's a fascinating watch. Oh, I, right, I, I should I, watch I, that. I definitely yeah. recommend that one. I did actually hear it being mentioned in the same breath as the Broth documentary yeah. recently. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, the flip side of the coin, what, what? There, there's definitely, there's definitely a, a higher level of self-awareness in, yeah, in Lavelle's yeah. one, and, and I think that's what makes the Broth one so brilliant. It is that zero self-awareness yeah, and then yeah. the, the trying to have self-awareness makes it even more cringe, yeah, it's cringe. and face it's, oh, it's, it's amazing i love all of that stuff have you seen um, some kind of monster that's what oh really pops God. into my head genius it, it's just 
When do you get to that level of fame where it overtakes you and you become that? Because I mean, his, his dad. I mean, first of all, the best thing in it is his dad. Mm-hmm. The, just the way his dad treats him is so <laughs> awful. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's amazing. I love all that. Yeah. Um, so when you hear, when will I be famous by Bros? Say, say, come on the radio today. Yeah. What memories does that evoke for you? Well, that, that's the memory, the, the, that disco and going on the, on the bus from Stockport into Manchester and, and, and that feeling of like when you were a kid and you used to go and hear loud music and you'd have like a ringing in your ear for two days afterwards. I never get that anymore. Obviously, my ears are used to this yeah. loud sound now. But I often think about that. Um, so, so did you go full in? Did you? But it to... was, uh, you know, it was a moment, and then pretty soon after that, you know, I would have been deeply embarrassed to yeah. have anything to do with Bros. But yeah, it was a moment. Did you enjoy school? No. You didn't. No. Why was that? Well, I'm dyslexic, so found. I found was that understood then? Academic, not really. No, I found academic stuff difficult, like reading and writing. I was very slow with that in the beginning and um, when I moved to Manchester there were things that I'd been doing in Ireland in school that they weren't doing in the Manchester school and things they were doing in the Manchester school that they weren't doing in the Ireland school like languages because we were only doing Irish so I got caught between two stools there we hadn't really gotten to science yet in Ireland because I was still in primary school you don't go to secondary school until you're 13 in Ireland and I went straight into secondary school and people had been doing two years of all sorts of subjects that I hadn't even touched on yet. Um, and and I, ju- I had a tendency to get into trouble with people in school, you know. I mean, I think I was pretty full of myself. My parents used to always tell me how fantastic I was. I was that kind, we were that kind of family. And so I was confident, but that confidence would get me into a certain amount of trouble. Was was you, was you a creative kid? Yeah. Was that encouraged at school? Yeah, I would say in the Irish school, certainly. Um, music was encouraged and, and, and drawing and painting, and I used to win kind of drawing competitions and things like that. So there, it was always known that I was the, one of the creative ones yeah. in the class. Did you find a connection with other people like that at school? We used to do a thing every year. There was, there was a thing called the... I'm from a place called Arklo, and there was a thing called the Arklo Music Festival, but not just, it wasn't just music. There was drama involved in it, and the, one of the things that every single child in every school did was say a poem in the festival, and you'd be judged. And I used to win that every year. I'd, I'd, I'd learn a poem, and I'd often... There was another girl in the class. There was either her that won or I won. So it was a great... There was a lot of kind of... Um, kind of competition between us um but she was brilliant at everything she was brilliant at maths and 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 english and history and all those she was a real clever clogs but i was good at that i was good at sort of speaking and i was good at singing and i was good at art and that was about it so that confidence that you said that your parents instilled in you was that would that transfer to, to to performing of course yeah i mean i think uh I'm not nervous now as a performer, but I was very, very nervous as a kid. And mm. uh, when my parents found out I could sing, it was like almost the worst day of my life because every time then they had a drink, they used to sort of chase me down the street, pull, drag me back in, you know, to the house to sing in front of my aunties yeah. and my uncles and my nana and all these people. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> okay, for track four. The first record you remember buying? Yes, I said, I think it's the, the Live to Tell, mm. Madonna. It's hard to remember because my uh, aunt, well, my nana, and subsequently my aunt had a big restaurant in the town and they had a an actual jukebox. Oh, wow. And whenever they would sort of change the records over, they gave the records to me. So I don't know. I don't know if that's one that I bought. I think that's the one I bought first. But I was already getting lots of records, so like Blondie records and things like that. Blondie was big in our house. My brother was obsessed with Blondie, 
but this this record I loved I loved this song so much you've mentioned like Madonna and Blondie there so they're two iconic female with blonde artists. hair with blonde hair yeah <laughs> influenced sure obviously yeah okay and at this point aside from sort of singing at home and performing poetry at school was music something as you were sort of moving through school that you thought this is a, a career no. this is something I wanted to do not at all I thought I was going to do visual art. really yeah Again, you know, almost as far back as I can remember, I thought I was always drawing, always making stuff, always, you know, pl- plasticine and just getting, I remember getting really into collage, you know, the age of sort of seven and just doing nothing but collages for like a month and things like that. It's just, I loved films as well. My mother is a big sort of film buff. And I watched two, three films every Saturday, Sunday with her. I used to be the kind of kid who could sit and watch like two black and white films from start to finish, one after another, no problem. Very young. My kids would not in a million years yeah. be able to concentrate <laughs> that long just, on that. As you were saying, I was just trying to think of my kids doing nothing. No oh, chance. Musicals as well, like the MGM musicals and things. And then I would draw the dresses afterwards. So I thought perhaps maybe something visual, maybe a fashion designer. I was also really obsessed with, as a kid, like my mother had a Terence Conran book, you know, with all the interiors yeah. in it. I was really into that. My favourite thing just poured over it, over and over it. We lived in a sort of scruffy but beautiful um, uh, Georgian townhouse. And um, and so it was the, the opposite of that. It yeah. was like this modern kind of sunken yeah. carpeted areas and like mezzanine levels and things like that. I was, a, I was really into all that, really just fantasizing about the kind of house that I was going to have. So maybe I was going to do that. Maybe I was going to be just a painter or artist, some kind of... And as I got older, I sort of got more into kind of more conceptual art and photography and just that's what I assumed I would do. You mentioned like drawing uh, dresses and things like that. Um, going back to Madonna and Debbie Harry, like, was, was you aware of the power of, of their, their look? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that my brother had that huge poster of Debbie Harry over his bed, you know, with the, where she was wearing the Andy Warhol T-shirt. And that fascinated me, you know, her look fascinated me, that sort of like evolution of, I guess, Marilyn Monroe, really. And, um, yeah, I mean, that just totally fascinated me. My mother was an antique dealer as well, I would say that. So aesthetics were big in our house. And uh, I was given a kind of education in periods and styles that only recently I've realized I was lucky to get because sometimes I talk to people and they don't know, say, the difference between a Georgian door and a Victorian door or something. And it was just so natural for me. I just know these things. I didn't even have to learn them. They just got them by osmosis type thing from a mother whose eye was so delicate and she had great taste. She has great taste, my mum. And um, so, yeah, the, the, I was visual. always thought I'd be making something visual. And aside from getting records ex-jukebox with the little bits in the middle missing. Um, Which we always lost as well. Always. When you come to play the record, it's like, where is that the yoke, we'd say in Ireland? Where's the yoke? What did you call it? Everything that you don't know what the name of is a yoke. I've not heard that. A thingy would be in Irish. Right, a yoke. right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, record shops, were they, were they something that were yeah, having an effect on you a record, at this point? There was a record shop in Arklo which is where I would have bought that, Live to Tell. And then when I went to Manchester, record shops became a very important kind of hangout. Um, I went to see Sonic Youth when I was 14, and that changed. I, get, I think it changed my life, honestly, because it made me 
very obsessional about music. You know, I just this is the life for me. This is it. This is I just want to see bands and I just want to collect records and I only want to think about music. You know, all day, every day. And I went to a record shop the day after I saw them, and I took my U2 records, sold them, and bought the Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth. Wow. Um, in the old days, yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, like, record exchanges. Sure. And um, there was a record shop in Manchester called Eastern Block, yep. which was owned by um, 808 State people. And one side of it was all club music, house music, and the other side was all like the indie sort of music. Yeah. Um, and hanging out in there, I remember, kind of sort of breaking out in sweats and things, just even coming close to it and thinking I just wasn't cool enough to be in there and all that kind of awkwardness, that teenage yeah. awkwardness, but also the, to- the excitement of it, you know. I want to just go back a little bit to the Sonic Youth show you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that's intense music for a 14 year old to be mm. listening to mm. um and it's it's a glorious racket sonic youth yeah like what what was it about sonic youth that 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 had such an and it, i mean i know obviously how amazing sonic youth are but, I think but at 14 years of age was it kim or was it uh, well i was brought up with live music as i said my uncle was an incredible musician had loads of bands and in the summer he used to play these morning sessions um, in this country, big country pub that we used to always go every Sunday and all the kids would go and all the adults would go and the days before people worried about drink driving and all. So I was brought up with live music and so there's not, it's not like I can re- even remember my first gig. And the first real gig sort of outside of that that I went to was Queen in Ireland. My dad took us to Slane Castle to see Queen. But that was like Slane Castle and huge. And he was like a tiny little blimp on the horizon, you know. I didn't really get that sort of experience. It didn't touch me, to be honest. I loved Queen. We all did. They were a big family band. The the whole family loved them. Um, But this one, this gig, was the first thing that was completely separate to my family that something my family would never understand, you know, my mother or father yeah. would never be there. Um, and they're pretty cool, my parents, but that was really just a bit too far out for yeah. them. And, um, and I'd never seen, you know, a mosh pit before. And, and of course, yeah, I, I sat on the side of the stage, which they allowed, for, because they probably saw how young I was. Yeah. So nobody really moved, nobody wanted to move me off the side of the stage. It was dangerous, apart from anything else, for a little girl like me. But I watched them just pick up Kim Gordon over and over again and throw her into the audience. Yeah. You know, can you imagine seeing that when you're like a little girl of 14? It was just like, wow, this is what I want. This is yeah. the type of person I want to be, you know. And... Yeah, I mean, it was it was a real eye-opener. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, if you want to... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hear the songs. Just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side and so i i just want to touch on um the the the, the, the what you know, kim golden Blondie, Madonna, and and uh, and their their levels of fame. Um, as you started to experience being a recognisable face, how, how, how did that sit with you? I never, I never really felt. I've never felt that. Uh, I can go to places, yeah, and be some. I be around people who know who I am, yeah. But that's always because they love what I do, yeah. Um, I've never been um, famous to the degree where people bother me just because I'm famous yeah. or they know my face or anything yeah. like that. And, and and if that happens, and it's happened very, very rarely, where people are like, can I get your autograph? You're her who sang that song. Yeah. It's kind of very irritating, honestly. Um, but if it's somebody, usually... 99% of the time, if somebody talks to me, it's because they know my music well yeah. and they love what I do. Yeah. And in that sense, I, when my kids say to me, must, you know, are you famous? You know, <laughs> and I'll say, no, I'm not famous. I'm just very well thought of. And <laughs> Great I, answer. I, I kind of quite like being able to say that to them, you know, especially in today's kind of, uh, sort of world of fame, how, yeah. the, how fame is of now, course. which is so cheap, and it's not something that I really want to to expose my kids to. Uh, so it's quite nice to just to be able to say, "No, I'm really just really well thought of." Yeah. And they look at me confused, so <laughs> and then they go about their business. Having two teenage daughters as well, and and, and growing up loving Madonna and loving Sonic Youth and Battle Surfers and things like that. How do you... I've got a son and a daughter. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you... Do the you whole tr- set. Do you, <laughs> do you try and influence them in, in any way as to what it's they should impossible. listen to? And if it you is, try, isn't it? If you try, you just end up, yeah. you know, biting yourself in the ass, I think. Yeah. Because uh, they listen. They, if they, whenever they get a chance, they like to listen to Capital FM. Yeah. They're six and nine. They're really, really into it. And they learn the songs and they yeah. sing along to the songs and all that. But um, if I stand around saying, that's rubbish, that's rubbish, then they will ultimately, when I'm playing my music that I like to them, they'll say to me that that's rubbish. That's yeah. So I don't want it to become a face-off. Of you course, know? yeah. And um, I was never expected to be a musician so I kind of don't believe in hot housing children to be anything to be particularly interested. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to just let them grow like weeds, you know, mm-hmm. and just see what happens. I think that's healthy. We'll see. <laughs> it's a big chance to take, isn't it? Track five. The song that soundtracked your clubbing years. Yeah. Well, as I said, I was in Manchester and this... Uh, song Voodoo Ray guy called Gerald which still stands today as just a magnificent record uh, was anthemic right across the city when it came out now I have to say the first house record I ever heard was because my brother went to um, Ibiza and he came back with a 12 inch of House Nation House nice. House, House, House Nation what year was this Roisin? that would have been 87 yeah um, 
And then I think Gerald, the Voodoo Ray is 88, late, late end of 88. So I bought Voodoo Ray myself and um, loved it. That, that's a very important record. Sounds like it's from another planet. Yeah. It's, it's just very soulful. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other big Manchester record was the 808 State, Pacific State. Yeah. That was huge. And huge for us was um, Loaded Primal Scream because we were coming out of being really into all them scraggy, scraggy lads, indie music. It was a good bridge. It was a fantastic bridge Perfect record. Bridge. Yeah, it was really kind of... And that's another good intro, isn't it? Uh, do what I gotta do. Yeah. And to get loaded. But it, that was an intro that was on a Mud Honey record. Yes. Earlier than that. Yes. So we knew, the in, we knew that already. Yeah. Um, Mud Honey were supporting Sonic Youth that night. That's a good gig. Yeah, mate. <laughs> and they came back out at the end of the night. And another very important song for me. Um, they all did a rendition together of I Want to Be Your Dog. Nice. Yeah, that was fantastic. Of course, poor old Kim Gordon didn't stay on the stage for very long. She, <laughs> she kept being chucked back into the audience to crawl back on. I remember the first time I heard Touch Me, I'm Sick. And, and it was one of the most aggressive raucous dirty things i'd ever heard mm. and it just absolutely knocked me sideways i was a awful little venue in, in romford in essex that decided they were going to jump on the kind of exploding indie bandwagon and, and i remember just they were playing a load of awful shit and then they played this and i was like what the fuck is this record and it was just it's an incredible record it's a brilliant man. record yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant so you mentioned bridging that gap from the likes of these bands to, to what was happening in Manchester with, mm. with, with electronic music. Um, what about uh, the, the other stuff that was coming out of Manchester at the same time, like the Roses and the Mondays and the yeah, Spirals? Yeah, well, I mean, the Roses were another... And the Mondays were, were another bridge because they were the same lads that were in the... You know, at the Hacienda or whatever. So there was this fantastic thing happening in Manchester at the time where everything was kind of melding and of course the drugs had a lot to do with it. Did it feel exciting? It did in, It did feel, well, it did feel exciting. It feels even more exciting in retrospect when mm. you think about actually where you were at the age that you were, you know, yeah. doing that. And I uh, kind of, strangely, I suppose, actually had a flat by the time I just turned 16. Right. My own flat in Manchester and had total freedom and total run of the city. So I was going from, you know, PSV in my side, hearing hip-hop, to the kitchen, which was like a big blues uh, or reggae, to, you know, to a gig, you know, Mybury Valentine, to, um, to like an acid house club, to... R&B um, in a place called uh, Precinct 13. There was just, it was just, every kind of music was available to you there. And it was all on a plate and it was all easy accessible and it wasn't expensive like it is now. And I was just unbelievably lucky in terms of the music that I was surrounded by. And, and I, I, you know, I think there's so many documentaries that that look back nostalgically at, at that period of, of music. Yeah. And I think they should because it was. I mean, the different genres you've just mentioned there. It really did feel like everything was just on fire at that point. Every possible genre was coming to the forefront, was making itself known, and it yeah. just felt even down down here. Like, mm. we just wanted to go to the Hacienda. We just wanted to be part of what was happening in Manchester. Oh, and, right. And, and <laughs> oh, like that brilliant, um, what's he called, Harry Enfield sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah. Nice one, nice one. <laughs> so, so was the Hacienda somewhere you'd frequent then? Yeah. 
Tell me about that. I want to know about Hacienda. Well, it wasn't my favourite club, you know, because I don't really like humongous clubs. Yeah. And it was very hard to fill the space with sound. Yeah. Um, but it was a beautiful space yeah. to look at. And the feel of it was great yeah. in that sense. Um, but it just, it just wasn't my favourite it just wasn't my favourite club. I would have preferred, the, you know, Precinct 13. And, and actually, I would have preferred the music, I think, at that point, too. Yeah. You know, I was really into things like... Uh, I remember the big record in, in, in Precinct 13 would have been um, Ghetto Heaven. Family Stand. The family Stand. That type of sort of... And that kind of funky drummer-driven... Yeah. yeah. Sort of late 80s music. I was really into that, yeah. MC Light and all them kind of people. Yeah. So, what did you want from clubbing at that age? Uh, Music, first and foremost. To hear music? To hear music, to dance to music. That was really it, to be honest. Not much else. Not not alcohol, not drugs. Um, Didn't really get into, like, raving until... 1990 something like yeah. that um would have been six would have been 17 maybe before i experienced anything like that but i was already clubbing for two or three years by then yeah. <laughs> the terrible uh, terrible young lass i was looking at that then and looking at club culture now mm. i don't know anything about club culture now Come on. You I might, don't. You, you, you must. Uh, or, or even in the last, say, 10 years, like, do you think it's, it's got better? It's, it's diversified. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't be 16 again, yeah. you know, so, and I don't have the energy to be out four or five nights a week <laughs> yeah. um, or even four or five nights a month. Mm. Maybe four or five nights a year is more my cup of tea these these days. Did you watch the um, documentary series that come out at the tail end of last year where they, they started at Studio 54? It was on the BBC. It was like four episodes and it went through. Rubbish. The, the, did you watch it? Yeah. Just for a laugh. Yeah, I'm just not. I'm not into looking back. I will never do like a Maloco reunion tour or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. Mm. But then that's, that's a sign of a, a confident artist, right? If you've got something to say, then you've said that then, right? So you well, want to I, be... I have moments of confidence, yeah. Yeah. Moments of self-doubt as well. But I can't do that. I just can't yeah. look back too much. But that, that documentary series concluded in Vegas and America... Oh, all that and sort of people stuff, talking yeah. about VIP areas where mm. you pay this and mm. you can pay this amount and you can look down on the DJ booth and yeah. watch this DJ. It's just uh, yeah. cold. Uh, well, even just looking at the DJ, we didn't yeah. used to look at the DJ. But you, we didn't you, used to look at the DJ. But now they're filming the DJ on their phones. It's like just standing in front of the DJ, like as if he's doing, I don't know, a priest or something. Maybe. Yeah, have a dance. Have a dance with each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, track six. Uh, a favourite song from an artist from your hometown? Um, from my hometown? Well, it, do you know what? You, you, it, I always put county, but everybody interprets it as country. Oh, But right. it's fine, it's fine. Well, I could change that no, then. I could say, no, I'll that. tell you Didn't what I'll do is I'll say, you can have an Van Morrison, The Streets of Arklow. Is okay. a fantastic song. I see what you've done there. And it's a song about Arklo, which is where I'm from. Wonderful. But you I love Van Morrison. I mean, I adore his voice. It does something to me. Like, and the flexibility of it is, is something that I'm in awe of. Yeah. And I love all of Astral Weeks. Try... I mean, and perhaps it's the album I've listened to the most in it's my mine. life. It's mine. And uh, I try very hard to sing along to it, but I can't. Because you never know where he's going to come in or how he's going to phrase something. It doesn't matter how many times you listen to it. And there's a soulfulness in his voice that's just... It's one of the best voices, I think, that there's, there's ever been. He's incredible. Yeah. I love him. 
You initially sent over uh, when it was home country. You said "Sweet Thing." Which Sweet is, Thing oh, is it just beautiful? Me, what a song. Beautiful. It's that that whole album. I, I, I bought it on the on the strength of probably only here knowing Moon Dance and uh, Brown Eyed Girl. And I thought, well, I'll buy this album because it was always in these kind of like charts that you'd see in all the magazines that you must have this album. And it was just one of them that the minute it started, it's just... It's, it's heaven just, on earth, isn't it? It's joy. Really, it's yeah. pure joy. And, the, and apparently, I think he recorded the album in like three days. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, like, he had no money. And he had to use jazz musicians yeah. because the rock musicians were too expensive to hire. Is that and, true? Uh, yeah, there's a whole like story attached to it. But yeah, I mean lyrically it's incredible as well, right across the board. But Streets of Arklow is beautiful yeah. as well. It's a stunning, stunning record. Have you seen him live? No, never seen him live. live he's not in. supposed to be a nice fella. I've What's heard he's, he's about not. he's not a, he's not a nice lad. I've 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 heard he's feisty. He's a pain in the arse, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Um, so let's talk live venues then. Um, what was the kind of, aside from, from, from clubs and stuff that you was going to, was there live venues that you liked to sort of frequent? And is there live venues that you really like playing there? Uh, well, I mean, in Manchester, there was every sort of kind of venue you could think of, really. Um, both International 1 and 2 were fantastic venues. Um, I saw lots of bands in the university. saw lots of bands in the university in Sheffield when I subsequently moved to Sheffield. Um, occasionally you see a band in, in, in Hacienda as well, which, were, which was never a great venue for that, but it was fun to go. Um, I love playing Brixton Academy. Um I love venues where you can see the audience and where they, where you get sense they can see you yeah. and they kind of surround you. The greatest venue I've ever played, I think, is the Globe. Okay. The Shakespeare's Globe here. And I was the first artist to play a music show at the Globe. Wow. Actually. And that was off the scale incredible. Yeah. The fact that it's made of wood and that it is all surrounding you because it's sort of it's a round venue you feel like you're in the very heart of the audience and and everyone can see you and of course you've got this hole in the roof and the roof there is no roof so you've got this sense of like power from that and I just I just walked out on that stage I felt like I'd sort of walked into kind of a womb or something it was really an amazing experience Going back to Sheffield briefly, you've obviously got the, the ballwalk in Sheffield, and there's a venue underneath called Under the Ballwalk. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I don't know. Hang on. There's a boardwalk in, in Manchester. I saw lots and lots of bands at the boardwalk in Manchester. What's the venue in Sheffield? There's the Octagon. No. There's. This would have been mid '90s, and there's a bigger venue and then underneath. Leadmill. Might have been. Is there one underneath the Leadmill? No. I'm sure it was. Where was it? But we played in Sheffield. Who's we? My, my old band, Donkeys, years ago. Oh, what's, what's your old band? Oh, it was just like, it was a band called Lilo. It was just like a kind of uh, guitar-y thing. But, but we played, uh, we was meant to play the main thing, and the same went wrong, so it was like, can you play acoustic downstairs? So Aye. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we, we'll do that. And the guy that was running it and was a sand guy come up and said oh, I really like what you're doing he was like oh thank you very much and I said like oh how long you worked here blah 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 and just got chatting to him and said like what do you do he played on Astral Weeks oh wow and I was like oh my god and uh, and he come up and, and we'd done Cypress Avenue with him oh and, lovely uh, so just yeah a little self-indulgent story going full circle back uh, yeah. to, to Van there but um, yeah that was in some underground venue in, in Sheffield well uh, Sheffield uh, the Sheffield years uh, were mostly not in licensed venues. Yeah. The parties that I went to in Sheffield were in parties, you yeah. know, that were set up in like 
there was ones in caves, there yeah. was ones in um, lofts, there was ones under a, uh, an Italian restaurant, yeah. there was ones um, oh, just sort of all kind of crazy places, um, barns. Um, yeah, it was all kind of quite DIY when I came into the Sheffield scene. There was the Palais, which was a lovely, yeah. which was a lovely old club as well. I think it had been, might have been a, yeah, it was an old old dance hall that been a, turned into a club. Yeah, and yeah, it was mostly for sort of parties, not on the legal side. Yeah. Final track, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Well, I put one of my own is that all right of course it is <laughs> well i put simulation and also jealousy because i've got a track out at the moment called um incapable and it's doing really well people are really 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 liking it and um i just would like people to be aware that this is not coming out of nowhere and that i've been working with this guy parrot for you know most of my adult life on and off at least 20 years done loads of tracks with him actually yeah and this one seems to be the one that everybody's caught on to so i'd like them to see the lineage where it came from simulation jealousy these were two roshi murphy um 12 inches that came out a few years ago that were produced by parrot as well what's coming up well that incapable i'm doing lots of festivals um and other stuff they can't talk about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are you enjoying it at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty amazed I'm still here, to be honest. Why do you say that? Because it's... There's been no lot... There's been no massive plan. It's just sort of evolved my career. Yeah. Um, and I'm amazed. And, you know, even, say, when I had kids, and I, I didn't know it was going to be okay to come... To take that much time off and then come back to it. And, yeah. I'm just very grateful and amazed that there is an audience for me still. I must stand to the quality of your work. Well, there's lots of lots of quality music out there, musicians who haven't had the chances yeah. that I've had, so I am grateful. Well, I look forward to it. Rasheen, thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you. There you go, that's the end of the podcast. What a great listen, right? She was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I... I was absolutely buzzing when I come out of there. It was someone that um, I didn't think I'd ever get to sit down and, and, and chat music to. And some of the song choices surprised me, as I, as I did, you know, mention in the podcast. And it, it was just, it was wonderful. It was really nice just to sit and and, and, and chew the fat about music with, with someone that clearly knows their music. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, thanks again to Rosheen. Thanks to you for listening. And... Yeah, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast. And it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Ew. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.